Let me just start with prayer, then we'll jump right in here. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're thankful for His His ministry that is accomplished and finished, and we're also thankful for His ongoing ministry as our great High Priest. And we look forward to His return. And so may we uh, continually remember uh, His His sacrifice that we've uh, we've celebrated and remembered during this uh, Lord's Supper time. And as we come to Your Word, may You uh, open it up to us. We would understand it. Would Your Spirit guide us? Uh, so give us wisdom and, and understand and know how to apply your word to our lives. May it be faithfully and accurately proclaimed. May we glory in uh, these glorious truths together and, and worship you as we hear the word preached now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Enoch has got to be one of the most mysterious figures in the Bible. Interesting man, Enoch. Uh, one of the things that makes him an, an interesting, mysterious man, of course, is he never died. Don't you find that unusual? Most people die. Another thing about I love about Enoch is he had a glorious testimony before others uh, during his time. It was a wicked time on the earth. Just read Genesis chapter 6 and you'll you'll understand what the, the world was like because God described the world as an evil place during that time. But the author of Hebrews summed up Enoch's life with the following phrase. Hebrews says, Enoch pleased God. So how did Enoch come to have that kind of a testimony? Well, there's something about Enoch's life that, that caused him to have a testimony that pleased God. What was it about Enoch's life that pleased Yahweh. And then the question for us is then, how can we have that same kind of characteristic in our own lives? So in today's message, we're going to attempt to answer these very important questions. And hopefully in the process, your own faith will be strengthened. Uh, and you'll hopefully understand some things about God and, and, and how we can please Him. So... Before we get into Hebrews 11, I just want to read some of the other verses in the Bible that tell us about Enoch. Now, the Bible doesn't say much about Enoch, so I've just pulled out a few here from Genesis and Jude in your Bible. Let's, um, let's look at what um, these other verses outside of Hebrews say about uh, this great life of faith in this man we know as Enoch. Genesis 5, verse 21 in your Bible, Genesis 5, 21 says this, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And that's all Genesis says about Enoch. <laughs> not much. So I'm thankful for some of these other passages, like uh, Jude tells us uh, something interesting about Enoch. Let me just read it. Uh, there's no chapters in Jude, so look at verse 14. It says, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all 
and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So what facts about Enoch do we learn from those two passages there? Let me just point out a, a few things that, that are helpful before we get into what Hebrews says. First of all, we, we see in Genesis 5 that Enoch walked with God for approximately 300 years. Can you imagine that? And by walking with God, we just mean he's in communion and fellowship with God for 300 years. So that means, if Enoch was alive today, that means he was walking in fellowship with God from the early 1700s. unbelievable isn't it long time we see that god supernaturally transported enoch from this earth to heaven and he did it in the unusual way of of outside a normal death he didn't die a normal death Uh, we also see enoch left this earth at a relatively young age now some of you might be laughing at that because 365 years, you have to understand, is relatively young during this time period. Because the average age of death for other people listed in Genesis chapter 5, this is average, was 907 years old. So, he only lived to be 365. The other thing we see is that uh, Enoch represented the seventh generation from Adam. So not very far there from, from Adam, obviously. And the other thing Jude tells us that Enoch was a prophet of God. And then Enoch foretold here the second coming of Christ and what would happen when Christ came. He, and and so, so there in Jude, Enoch's saying, he's declaring to the ungodly people, what's going to be the result of your sin? If you don't repent, bad news for you. Sin's going to bring judgment when Christ comes. Well, in today's message, we're going to focus on what the book of Hebrews primarily says about Enoch. I mean, that's all interesting stuff. This kind of introduction helps you understand a little bit more about his life. So let's see what the author of Hebrews says about Enoch's life of faith. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 5. We've already covered the first four verses. If you've somehow missed those messages, you can go onto the internet and listen to those. Hebrews 11, verse 5, says this about Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Here's the proposition for you today, which is going to be pretty similar to all of these people of faith. But remember from Hebrews chapter 6, we we saw that God wants us to imitate these people of faith. Of course, not the bad things, but uh, the the, the good things. So we see here that God wants you to imitate the faith of Enoch. 
Now, these two verses we just read together teach us three things, at least three things, about Enoch. So I want to examine them in chronological order. In other words, how did they actually occur in Enoch's life? First of all, we see that, number one, Enoch believed God. I'll elaborate on that, but Enoch believed God. That was the first step in Enoch's spiritual growth in his, his this this growth, this life of faith in God. The one basic prerequisite that's mentioned here for pleasing God, at least in the uh, that's set forth here in the account of Enoch's life in verse six, is that without faith it is impossible to please God. Notice it doesn't say without faith you may not be able to please God, or you probably won't please God, or, you know, something to that effect. No, it's it's very blunt, very straightforward, very clear. It's 100%. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you're one of these people, you you've somehow been thinking, well, you know, if I just live a good life, and I try my best to please God well, then God might be pleased with me. Well, this verse, if you're one of those kind of people, you you think you can please God by what you do or not do, then this, this passage is definitely for you. This verse here teaches that when you and I come to God, it's impossible for us to enjoy His favor unless we have faith in Him. And, and that, that faith comes in two specific ways. There's two specific things mentioned in this passage about God that you must believe. And by the way, if you're, if you're still wondering what faith is, I'm, I'm going on what Hebrews 11 verse 1 says. It says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There must be a a confident belief here in something in order for you to please God. And notice, first of all, we see that faith's object must be God. The object of your faith is crucial. And notice it says it must be God. So coming to God and believing that He is means, by the way, it's more than just believing that God is Uh, a supreme being. It's more than just saying, well, God is the first cause, or God is the, He's the the intelligent designer of all things. I'm just throwing out a few phrases that are very popular today. Okay, it's more than that. It could include those things, but it is more than that. It's believing in the existence of This God who has declared Himself in Scripture to be the self-existent One. God has described His very nature in the Bible. God has has given us His works in the Bible. And therefore, it is not just believing that such a God exists, but also that everything He has said about Himself is true. Everything that God has said about Himself is true. Okay? And He's said a lot about Himself, hasn't He? Uh, From the very first verse in the Bible, we see the assumption that God exists. Right? Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. 
And so that's where it starts. But then you just keep reading through your Bible and you learn all sorts of, of, of things about God. You learn His nature, His essence, His character, His works. And so the object of faith must be this God who is self-existent and has declared Himself to be this way. And so and this is why it's absolutely essential we base all of our thinking about God on what He has revealed about Himself. Where did He reveal Himself? In His Word. And so if you just depend on what you think about who God is and how He should act, you know what you've just done? You just formed your own God. You formed your own God in your image, and therefore you are actually worshiping a self-made idol, a self a false god. It's called idolatry. So faith object is this self-revealing God of the Scripture. But notice number two here, faith's motivation is also mentioned in verse 6. It is, and it's God's reward. God's reward is faith's motivation here. The second fact that we are to believe about God in order to approach Him is that it is His very nature to reward all these people who diligently seek Him. So it's not God's desire to turn men away from Him. In fact, it's on the contrary. We see here, He is willing to receive all who come to Him. But if you come to Him, you must come to Him through the merits of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's the only way. And so faith must turn to God as the one who saves. It must come to Him seeking reward. You must come to Him seeking His favor, seeking His grace. Well, what's the alternative? Well, if, if you don't do that, then what do you do? Well, the, one of the alternatives would be to just ignore this God. You ignore Him. You, you think it's, it doesn't matter what God thinks of me. It doesn't matter what He intends for my future. And that's, my, my friend, that is exactly what unbelief is all about. Few people would deny the first aspect there. The object of faith must be God. Few people would deny that. But a lot of people deny the second part here. They deny that, they, they, even people who say there is a God or some supreme being, uh, a lot of them would say, well, God's just not relevant to me. And that is certainly true in our day. Many people agree that God must exist, yet they're not seeking Him. What are they doing? They, they serve these false gods, whatever they may be. These false gods are the source of their rewards, these rewards which they so highly covet. And they, they go through all kinds of means and ways to get there going around God. And that begs a vital question. Do I have to deal with God? Do you have to deal with God? Do I need to pay attention to Him? Do I need to listen to, to God as He speaks? And Do I open my heart in this relationship with Him? Do I let Him change the way I think and the way I live and act? And do, I make, do I have Him as my great hope of my life? My friend... Hopefully the answer is obvious to those questions. See, according to the Bible, 
which is God's own revelation? The answer is yes to all those questions. Now, although there are many reasons why we must come to God in faith, let me just give you two to consider for today. Number one, God tells us that He is a holy judge who is going to surely punish every sinner. He is a holy judge who's going to surely punish every sinner. God says that at the end of of the days, He's going to bring everybody to stand before Him in judgment. That's what the last book in your Bible says. I'll put it on the screen here for you. Revelation 20, verse 12, paints the picture this way. Uh, The Apostle John mentions that uh, he he saw the dead, uh, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books. God has a book. He's going to judge. He knows all. He knows everybody individually, what they've done or haven't done. And they will be judged accordingly. Sadly, though, people deceive themselves all the time. They they think they're going to fare well on this day because they, they have this impression, some people have this impression that God's got these huge scales in heaven and He's going to put all their good works on one side and, and on the other side of the scales, God's going to put all your bad works, the evil that you've done. And, and a lot of people think, well, my good works will surely outweigh the bad. And so God's going to base, He's going to judge me based on that, right? That's what a lot of people think. A lot of people say, well, I'm basically good. But the Bible renders a a different verdict, a totally different verdict from that. See, God judges based on His perfect holiness. See, Romans 3.23 says it this way, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody, 100%. Fall short of the glory of God. God's glory is the standard. None of us match up to that. And so Romans 6.23 tells us the consequence, because we don't match up to God's glory, is that the wages of sin is death. And therefore every person stands guilty because of our sin, and then we have this horrible condemnation, this awful peril that comes as a result of who we are. And so for this reason, we, we need to seek God. We, we need to come to Him desperately seeking His favor. We need to find out how we might gain His favor. Well, another reason to seek God is there is a life after this one. Some people believe there isn't. They just believe in annihilation, that after you die, you just, you know, you go in the ground and, That's it. But clearly, the Bible refutes that belief. There certainly is a life after this one. And even Enoch the prophet said there was, and we need to be ready for that. So we see, first of all, here that Enoch believed God. We see that face object is God. We see the motivation is is God's reward. But notice number two, that Enoch pleased God. Enoch pleased God. Now that's an interesting phrase there. When it, when it says that Enoch pleased God, it, it's actually kind of interpreting uh, the, the phrase from Genesis chapter 5, where it says that Enoch walked with God. 
They're kind of parallel. They're kind of similar ideas. To walk with God is to please God. And so Enoch's faith in God enabled him to please God. Right? As Hebrews 11.6 says, you, you can't please Him without faith. And so Enoch walked with God and therefore was able to please God. God enabled him to please Him. <laughs> By the way, that was manifested there by his walking with God. His communion and fellowship with God showed showing his pleasure to God. And this was not something Enoch did by withdrawing himself from the world. Notice Enoch doesn't go out into the desert and live in a monastery for 365 years. He lived in this world. He prophesied in this world. He told people about God and what was expected of them. He'd lived a normal life in this world, and, and he was still able to walk with God. He was still able to commune with God. And everybody who knew Enoch knew that he was a man of faith, a man who was pleasing to God. So to better understand how he pleased God, I want to note four implications here, four, four important things that were involved in his walk with God. First of all, notice a path. There's a path. Walking with God implies a path. Uh, It may not be a set path, but anyway, think about this. Can two people just walk together at random? Can you? Well, implied here is that Enoch was on the same path as God. God's on a path, God's going somewhere, and and Enoch is agreeing with God's direction. Also implied here is that they're going toward the same place. They're agreeing on the same destination. Enoch's walking with God as, as God's going somewhere. And they're at the same pace. Because if you're walking with someone, you're think about it. Are you actually walking with someone if you're way ahead of them or way behind them? No, you're not actually walking with them, are you? So implied here is Enoch's walking at the same pace as God. He's not falling behind. He's not getting way ahead of him and jumping ahead of him. They're at the same pace, walking step in step together. So in order for us then to walk with God, we must follow the path that God has designed for us, that He's revealed for us in His Word. And to move in any other direction then, or to deviate from that path, is then you're you're actually ceasing to walk with God. You're out of fellowship with God. You're out of communion with God. Also implied here is a purpose. As as Enoch was pleasing God, uh, we, we see walking with God as implying a wholehearted commitment here. You cannot walk without effort, right? It might be easier than other things, but it still takes effort. It takes a strength and a determination on your part to walk. You see, think about it as a when you were a little toddler, you never began to take steps as a child until you you had both the ability to do that as well as the desire to do that. See, it takes desire and ability to walk. And that's the way it is in the Christian life. Walking with God requires effort on your part. 
So there's purpose here, but number three, there's also a progression. As we walk with God, there's a progression. It implies a forward movement. As walking involves taking steps in a forward direction, think of that in in relation to, to God. It involves a spiritual progression, a spiritual growth. So to then cease advancing spiritually is basically saying that I've given up walking with God. But then number four is there's a pact. Notice they're all P's. There's this pact with God. There, uh, so walking with God, in other words, is implying an agreement with God. For you to be able to walk with God, you must first be able to fellowship with Him. And that can't happen unless you're in agreement with the way God thinks. Isn't it interesting, in Amos 3, verse 3, here's what it says, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Rhetorical question. What's the answer? (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Right? Do two walk together unless they've agreed to do so? The answer is no. So, what greater joy can someone have than to walk with God and enjoy His company as we go through life? So I ask you, are you walking with God? Do any of these things, are, are any of these things exhibited in your life? They show whether or not you're actually in communion and fellowship with Him. The third thing we learn from, from Enoch's very relatively short life on this earth, is that Enoch was transported in heaven by God. This is the last event in Enoch's life on this earth that we we see. Some call this his translation. In other words, his life did not end in death, as most peoples do, but it ends in this glorious transportation immediately from this life into the next. God takes him to be with him. The point is that Enoch's record here tells us of a life after death. Your life on this earth is at the end. It tells us of God's ability to reward His people with everlasting life. There is somebody who's gone on ahead of us. And indeed, by the way, this is the way we need to think about God's rewards. Uh, It's interesting how God expressed Himself to Abraham God said this to Abraham, I am your shield, your very great reward. So notice it's not what God gave to Abraham is the reward. God Himself is the reward. What greater reward could there be for anybody than God Himself? He's the greatest of all things. And I love what the commentator, Mr. Bruce, observed. In his commentary here, he says, The reward desired by those who seek Him is the joy of finding Him. He Himself proves to be their exceeding joy. Of course, that's what Psalms tells us several times. God is your exceeding joy. So our reward then is the one that Enoch received, which of course was eternal life with God. His free gift to all who turn to Him in faith is... Life everlasting. Now I quoted from Romans chapter 6 verse 23 earlier, but I only did the the bad news part of it. (laughs) Let me give you the good news of Romans 6.23. 
So the first part of it is the bad news. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The free gift. It's a free gift. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't pay for it. And notice, what is this gift? It is eternal life. How does it come to us? It's through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we see this gift here in the very experience of Enoch. This man who pleased God received the gift, God's reward, of which is eternal life with him. And so my friend, you say, can I receive this gift? Yeah. Yeah, the wages of sin is death. That's bad news. But you can receive this beautiful gift, this free gift of eternal life, as it comes to you through Jesus Christ. If you do what Enoch does, God enables him to believe in God, and and enables him to believe that God is a rewarder of people who seek Him, then you too can have that gift. And when you die, or if the rapture should happen first, we also see what, what happens to people whose faith is in God. I want you to see what the Bible says is going to happen to, to the Christians who have died as well as those who are alive when Jesus comes back to earth. Here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. Look at this. For the Lord Himself, that's Jesus, when He descends from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God... And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So that describes the rapture, this this catching up together of the believers. So if you should die before Jesus returns, no worries. No worries, because what's going to happen to you? It says the dead in Christ will rise first. So if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, your, your, your body's going to come up out of the ground. You will rise. That body's going to be made new to go to meet Jesus and be with Him forever. And if you're alive when Jesus returns, you too will go to meet Jesus. And your body will also be made new. And you'll be able to fly, to go into the heavens and to be with Jesus forever. And that's the good news, that that experience that Enoch had will also be yours. Enoch's kind of like a foretaste of what happens to believers. And so the lesson for us to learn from Enoch's departure from earth is based on the fact that he was spiritually transported long before his physical body was transported. How was his physical body transported to heaven? Well, I wish I could tell you all the details, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. Was it the same way as the other person in the Bible did it? See, there's another person in the Bible that did the same thing. right? You know about the prophet Elijah? The Bible mentions that he was transported to heaven. God brought a fiery chariot to pick up Elijah and take him to heaven before he died. He never, he never died on this earth either. 
did it happen the same way? I don't know, because the Bible doesn't say. But he was, he was physically transported to heaven. How did he get there? He didn't get there unless, first of all, he was spiritually transported. His faith was in Christ. Therefore, at his departure from the earth, he changed his place on the earth, but he didn't change his company because he had walked with God. And so Enoch continued to walk with God. He continued in this fellowship with God. So the lesson we learned from Enoch's Enoch's transportation here is that we must learn to walk with God in this life if we expect to live with him in the next. And so that's a lesson I'll put on the screen there for you. You must learn to walk with God too. You must learn to fellowship and commune with God if you expect to live with him forever one day. See, we, we've, we've seen here from Hebrews 11 that Enoch believed that God is and that God is a rewarder of all those who diligently seek him. So therefore, my friends, Enoch pleased God, but how did he do that? Enoch walked with God and he pleased God. Similar ideas. But how did he do that? It's not because of of some innate goodness within Enoch. Enoch was no different from you. But it's clearly from Hebrews 11, the point is, it's by faith that he pleased God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And that's why Enoch was transported because of his life on this earth was, was one that was characterized by this daily walk with God. So let me ask you, my friends, how's your walk with God? Is it daily? Is it consistent? Are you in communion with God every day of your life? The reality is we all know that there is sin in our lives. Even those, even those of us who are Christians know that we still struggle with sin every day of our lives. So what are you doing with that sin? Here's the good news, 1 John 1, 9, right? 1 John 1, 9 says, if you sin, the, the good news according to 1 John there is you, you do have an advocate according to chapter 2. You, you have this go-between, this mediator between you and And God, it is Jesus Christ. He is the God-man. So you you have someone who understands, your high priest understands, you can go to him. And if you confess your sins, you forsake your sins, 1 John 1, 9 says that God is just, and God is faithful. And because he is just and faithful, he is able and willing to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So my friends, none of us are perfect. But will you strive every day of your life to walk with Him in fellowship and in communion with Him? As Enoch did. Do you believe God? Are you walking with Him? May God enable us to believe and to walk with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We're thankful that there is someone here that we can learn much from. Thank you for Enoch, your great prophet of old, who walked with you and therefore pleased you by faith. May we be characterized by our belief in you. 
who you are and how you have revealed yourself. And may we diligently seek you. May you be our great reward. May you be the one whom we are running after, whom we're, we're going after here. May we have the proper object and the proper motive as we do this. Even our very motives can be skewed and faulty. So would you give us the correct motive here? May we see you as as the best in every way, and may we long for you. May our affections be set on you and things above and not on this earth. And so may we learn from Enoch's life and the, the story here from the Scriptures and apply them where they need to be applied. May we see you as a God who is who exists and is relevant for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.